All right. Well, good evening. Good to see you all. And I've had a bit of a break for a few weeks uh, due to storms and other events and things going on. Uh, but we're back tonight to finish the last of our uh, nine listed aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Our topic for tonight is self-control. Um, let me start by reading our passage in Galatians 5. Again, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 is where we've been. And that now, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this evening. We thank you for another chance to come together, sing, read from your word, and hear what you have said. And pray, Father, that you would give us open hearts tonight, open minds to receive your word, or that you be healing to us areas in our lives where uh, we need to think differently, need to be in agreement with your word. Pray that we would leave here encouraged, reminded of our salvation in Jesus Christ, what a precious gift that is, and what solid assurance we have in it. Praise you for it in Jesus' name. Okay. Self-control. You guys have all been waiting for this one. I know. That's why there's less people here tonight. At least it looks like there's less people. Nobody wants to hear about self-control. Uh, you know, self-control is a, is a concept that uh, we're all familiar with, but being familiar with the concept of self-control is much different than actually exhibiting self-control as a virtue, or even believing it to be a virtue in our culture. And we tend to see self-control more as, if we're honest, more as a virtue that other people should exhibit. Uh, we, we can quite easily see the occasions where, where they need to use self-control. I don't need to use self-control in this situation or that situation because I'm justified in some other uh, sort of response. Uh, so I, I think we could all agree that it's really easy to see the places where other people should be using self-control and, and how they fail at that. So I have a bit of a trick question for you then. If, if people used self-control, would there be such a thing as road rage? It's a trick question. People use self-control, would there be such a thing as road rage? Okay. Well, well, I think we could say probably yes, right? Because the rage might still be there, but the impulsive and violent uh, reactions to the rage would not happen, right? So, so, yeah, well, road rage violence is not an accident. And that's sort of the point that, you know, we're not, people aren't using self-control. There's anger, there's rage in there and it overflows into some sort of action. But does, does the self-control need to 
happen at an even earlier stage, I think is the question. Does self-control only relate to the acting out of rage, or does it have any part in the rage stage itself? Right? Even before the rage stage, should a person uh, exhibiting self-control even get to that point? Right? So we have to we have to think about that. And I think it, this is it's an important question that we as Christians would would ask ourselves, not just in dealing with anger, which is kind of a big one, but in all areas of life. Okay? We, we, we can think of times when we should have had some self-control, but, but we didn't, right? I mean, as you sit here now, you can think of some times in your own life where self-control would have been a good thing for you to exhibit in that moment. But here's how we often figure it. I should have had self-control and not drank that beer in the fridge because I'm a drunkard, right? But where should the self-control have come in? Okay, not, not to buy it in the first place, right? Um, because I'm a drunkard. I shouldn't be buying that beer. I should have exhibited that self-control earlier on in the process. Now, is it true that I should have exhibited self-control and not drink that beer? Yes, but it should have happened a lot earlier. The self-control should have happened a lot earlier. Absolutely, and, and there's and you could take it, you know, a number of places there to see where, you know, that could happen. Um, I, I should have had self-control and not ate that pie because I'm trying to lose weight. Well, where should the self-control have come in? Don't buy the pie. Don't make the pie. Don't don't <laughs> hang around those who eat pie. No. <laughs> no, but it's just a way we just need to think a little bit differently. There's it's often farther back. Um, I should have used self-control and not said those mean things to them or not typed out that mean social media post that I sent. Um, where should the self-control have come in? This is kind of a different one, an interesting one. God shouldn't have given me a tongue, right? No, that's not it. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't have even had the thoughts that I had about that person, those things that I was typing out. I, I should have had... Uh, self-control and not even typed those things out, let alone hit the send button. Right? And it goes, it goes to our thinking. It goes to our thoughts about other people. I should have had self-control and not smashed that glass and stolen those items from the store. Where should the self-control have come in? There's something else going on there. I, I shouldn't have been coveting something that wasn't mine. Right? So, so there's a problem farther back. That, that stuff was not mine in the first place. And we can see where this is going. You and I can, can sit here tonight and we can list um, things that would be solved or get better in our world if people would just have some self-control. And think about it. If everyone had self-control, truly, if everyone had self-control, what would happen to murder? Wouldn't be any, right? What, what would happen to child abuse? Wouldn't be any. What would happen to rape? What would happen to theft? They would all go away. Or would they? Right? The, the point in time where we realize we should have used self-control is often too late. And we need to be more aware even further back. There's something deeper that needs to be worked on in my life. And maybe the physical acts 
would go away. Physical acts of murder would go away if people kept themselves from murdering, raping, stealing, etc. But is that the real problem? Are those acts the real problem? No, they're not. Now, I, I can modify my behavior all day long, but I need to know that the, the physical act is just that. It's, it's the acting out of what was already wrong within me. It's the acting out of, that, of a sinful thing in my life that's already there. So our, our thinking is wrong. Our, our thinking is broken, and our thinking is self-centered. It's short-sighted. It, is, it causes harm to not only to ourselves, but to other people. And our hearts are deceitful and wicked, the Bible tells us. And, and our hearts are not inclined toward God and godly things. And what's broken is inside. It is the flesh that is corrupted. And a few, few short verses earlier in our Galatians passage, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says that people living in this way are said to be engaged in works of the flesh. He's making this distinction here. And Galatians 5, 19 through 21, if you have that open, you're looking at it, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, purity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are what Paul is using to contrast what is produced by the Spirit of God in the lives of Christians. Now, you and I as Christians may still struggle from time to time with the remnants of our old nature uh, in our flesh, but the Spirit of God is working out something in our lives that is different. He is making us more like Christ. The Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Okay, again, he's making that same point. This is coming from somewhere else. This is The things you're saying are bad enough, but they're coming from a wicked heart. In Matthew 5, 27, 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the physical act could go away. There could be no more physical act of adultery if people exhibited some self-control. But has adultery stopped? No, because it's in the mind. It's in the thoughts, and God knows our thoughts. And these two passages and many others in Scripture are pointing out that the problem is not physical harm we do or words we say. Okay? That is a big problem. Right? I'm not minimizing physical actions or the harmful words, but they're not the problem. We people have a heart problem. We have a mind problem. Romans 13, 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so what does Paul mean there when he says that those and any other commandments are summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself? What does he mean by that then? 
Thoughts? Absolutely. Right. That's true. It's not just about not doing bad things. Right? It's about the, the condition of our hearts and minds toward others to begin with. And what's the point here? Like you're saying, I don't harm myself. Right? I, I care for myself. I protect myself. Um, I provide for myself. I think of all my needs. I plan ahead to make sure my needs are met. Um, I, I want to make sure that I have what I want, what I, what I need. In other words, I love myself. It's easy to love myself. Now, even people that would say, I hate myself and this and that, really, they still care for themselves. They still protect themselves. Uh, and so they're... That's really where it is. I mean, we, I, I need to have that love for other people, and that is cultivated in the heart. And when I do, I will, like Jeannie was saying, I will automatically not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, etc. Why? Because the Scripture tells us that those commandments are summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You follow that command and you will follow the others. If that is true, since people often fail at those first commands, what does it reveal to be true about us? Okay, yeah, we, we lack self-control. Sure. What else? Thinking of those verses there, the commands, not to murder, not to steal, and, the, and what sums them up, what does it reveal about us since we fail at those things? Okay. Guard against those things, right? Right, it, it proves something else to be true about you. And I think what this reveals in us, it, that the fact that we fail in these areas, is that we really don't truly follow the command to love other people as we love ourselves. Right? We want to, don't we? I mean, we, we want to, um, but truly we don't because we fail in these areas. There's, there's work to be done, in other words. There, there's room for improvement in our lives. You, you and I have... We do have a part in that work in our lives, but this is where we, we have to be careful. It is called self-control, but we must understand first that we don't have it. We, don't, we can't do it. We don't possess it. We don't have the ability. We don't have the desire unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that produces self-control in believers. He who gives us a new heart, gives us a new mind, he gives us new desires as Christians. 
And how do we know that we have a part to play in this and that we don't just sit back and let God change us? Again, we want to get our answers from the scriptures, and the Apostle Peter had some things to say about this subject of self-control, and I wanted to, to look at that, and we'll be over in 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter made it clear that though God has left us on this earth and, and in this life, um, even after he so graciously saved us, he's not left us without help. Uh, in his divine power, God has, as Peter says, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yeah, it's great. That means we have everything we need to live this life in honor and service to God. We have everything we need to live this life in contrast to how the rest of the world lives it. And we do so to the glory of God. And we do struggle with that. Absolutely. That's why we need the scriptures. We need these kind of verses like Jesus says. It's a great verse. It's so helpful to us. So we learn there in, in 2 Peter 1 how, how does God grant us all these things? Uh, that, that is the question. And Peter says it's granted to us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We don't make up this knowledge. We don't get together and, and form a committee and decide how to live to the glory uh, and excellence of God in knowledge, some knowledge that we've come up with. This is talking about Scripture. We grow in knowledge of God through what he's said in his word. And then Peter goes on. He goes on to point out that God has given us great promises, uh, that, that his salvation has caused us to escape the corruption of the world uh, with all of its sinful desires. And then Peter lists out several things, several qualities, he calls them, as, as he, and that, that, that Christians are to supplement their faith with. There's several things he lists out that Christians are to supplement their faith with. In other words, you are a Christian now, so add these qualities to your life in keeping with your Christian faith. And one of those qualities that he lists out there is, of course, self-control. Okay, it's, it's in the line of other qualities like virtue knowledge, steadfastness, and godliness. Okay, now, the question is asked, how do we do this? And I, I get it that the Word of God instructs us to do this, to live this way, to put on these qualities like self-control, but how do we do it? We ask the question because we've tried to stop doing a thing. We've tried and failed and tried and failed. How do I actually use self-control? I'm not going to answer that yet. We'll answer it later. But this requires us to think about and apply our salvation to every aspect of life. It, we tend to look at life as this time period between salvation and and glorification in heaven. And we tend to disconnect it and think of it as, a, as separate because we're just working and living and eating and waiting for the end. 
And that is not the Christian life. That is a life with no purpose. The Christian's life is meant to be lived for the purpose of glorifying our God and Savior. And we do that by knowing more and more about him. We do that by living a life of self-control. But then we have to ask another question. Why do we need self-control in the first place? What does that reveal to be true of us as Christians? Why do we need self-control? Think. That? Because we would be out of control, right? Yeah, it it reveals a need. It, It reveals that we are a work in progress. Again, there's a problem. So God commands us to use self-control because we don't have it. As Christians, he's producing it in us, and it's an increasing measure, but we still struggle with it. So the command is there. We are a work in progress. So we need self-control. We need to be told to use self-control, and it reveals, and just that, the fact of that reveals it's a problem. It's something we struggle with. It's something we need help with. And Peter's reason for bringing up God's graciousness in saving us through faith and that there are qualities we should be adorning our faith with. His reason for bringing that up is to say this in, in 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. If you want to look there. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians is producing what was not previously there. He is producing this fruit through all the things that you particularly struggle with self-control in. So as you think of all those areas where you struggle with self-control, those are all opportunities for the quality and virtue of self-control to not only be present in your life, but as Peter said, it should be increasingly so. It should be something that's increasing in our life. And the fruit of the Spirit, says Paul in our Galatians passage, is self-control. It is the same Greek word that Peter used in this passage we've been looking at in, in 2 Peter. It's the exact same word. Um, and that word uh, is enkrathia. And, and the stem of that word is speaking about power or lordship. Okay, so this is the word he uses. And, and the main meaning of that word is talking about power and lordship. So then we add the prefix to that, which has the meaning in power or in rule and more literally, of holding yourself in, or of the ability to have a grip on yourself. We have desires, we have passions, etc., and this word that Paul used is speaking about restraining those things, a control over those things in our lives, ruling over them in our lives. And though this word is only used about four times in the New Testament, even the ancient Greek 
philosophers believed that self-control was an essential quality. Okay? Even these unbelievers believed that self-control was something that was essential in the, in the life of an individual. They even recognized the difficulty in the application of self-control, as you and I would recognize. Though they would not agree that their basic understanding is actually the law of God, evident in general revelation, but we see that, again, that even the ancient pagan world has some recognition and understanding of the dangers of the lack of self-control and the virtue in using it. Uh, for example, Aristotle once said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies, for the hardest victory is the victory over self. That's a pretty accurate statement, as you and I can attest from our many failures in this area, right? Um, this word that Paul used and that Peter used also has been described as superiority expressed in self-restraint. And Plato believed that our, that our animal urges must be governed or else they will produce what he says, a feverish state in the soul, a city of pigs, which knows no limits. Again, unbelievers. These are, these are people that don't believe in God, um, but even they recognize the danger, the damage from a lack of self-control. Um, you know, a feverish state in the soul, a city of pigs. Very interesting description. But, and I think you know, we can see this playing out even in our own time as we look beyond our lives and into what we see going on in, a, in a multiple arenas of society and we see the damage and the destruction and the violence and the ungodly living as a result of hearts and minds that are really devoid of ability or even a desire for self-control. People need the Lord. People need the Holy Spirit. We see this all over our world. And Christians are the ones that the Spirit of God is producing this fruit in. Why? If you still have your Bible open to 2 Peter 1, verse 8, according to that verse, 2 Peter 1, 8, why do Christians need the quality of the fruit of, the, of, of self-control to be present and increasing in their lives? Why do we need that, according to that verse? There we go. It keeps you from being ineffective, or some translations, useless, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. So if we ask ourselves why we need the fruit of self-control in our lives, beyond the fact that God commands it and, and produces it, if we ask why we need it, I want us to see and I want our minds to understand and grasp this because it protects us. From what? Not from overeating or from hitting someone or stealing. Though those are true. I, I mean, that's true of, of using self-control. But in reality, it protects us from something more important. This, this fruit that the Spirit of God is producing in us protects us from something much more important. It protects us from neglecting our mission. It keeps us, as Peter said, from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that imply? There is danger that you 
Christian or me could be ineffective or unfruitful with your life. Now, how many of us, when we think of the areas that we struggle with self-control in, how many of us connect that to something beyond our own improvement? I was thinking about that, and I I couldn't think of a place where if I'm actually thinking about self-control and that I I want to be better about self-control, it's typically because I want to be better. And that's where my thought process ends. But Scripture is teaching us there's something beyond that. And we must see here that there's, there's something more at stake, and that is our ability to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just about knowing facts about Jesus. This is about desiring to live a life of righteousness the way he did. The ultimate goal of self-control is Christ-likeness, not so I can be better at something. Now, this, of course, using self-control in the areas where we need to use self-control does benefit us individually. Okay, I'm not discounting that or saying there's no benefit there. But this is not for self, but for Christ and others. It's for the kingdom of God, his glory, his praise, his honor. This is what should bother us when we lack self-control. Not just that I ate the thing I didn't want to eat. Not that I stole something, but that I have grieved or dishonored my Lord. That should be on our minds. Self-control is not only about not doing something. I think we kind of can get stuck on that sometimes. Self-control can also be about making ourselves do something we need to do. Like reading our Bibles so that we can grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like spending time in prayer. And there's an aspect of self-discipline that's involved, I guess you could say, in self-control. Self-control is also not just about stopping something completely. Sometimes we think that's the case. Um, It it can also merely be about doing something in moderation. Uh, Now, we don't steal in moderation or murder in in moderation. That's not the case, uh, obviously. But there are things that that we might need self-control in doing just the right amount of. Right? They're not a sin in and of themselves, but if we lack self-control, we could turn something into sin. Um, it's not a sin to eat dessert, but if you need to eat less of it, you need some self-control. And, 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 and that's just one example. I mean, there's tons of examples, and you can think of them in your own life, areas where, where you lack self-control. And we have to be honest in our assessment of ourselves uh, to know if I need to stop doing something completely or just do it in moderation. Okay, and, and don't lie to yourself. Make something not a sin that's a sin for you. So this is why it takes a, an honest assessment. Um, but we can learn something here from Peter about those who do lack this quality in our passage there in Second Peter. Why, why don't we have this quality, this fruit of self-control increasing in our lives? Why is it not important to us? Or why do we at least 
not know why we struggle in this area, maybe. Peter tells us in verse 9, and, and I want you to notice again that, and be reminded, he's writing to Christians and not non-Christians. This is not saying you're not a Christian if you struggle with self-control. Okay? He's, he's been telling Christians not to be ineffective as Christians, and here he adds what the problem is with us. Verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Again, this is interesting. There, the answer here really isn't, isn't pleasant, right? I, if you and I lack self-control, the Bible says we are nearsighted, the least. So much so, in fact, that we are blind. We become blind. If you lack self-control in relationships, um, with your words, with your harshness, uh, your lack of forgiveness toward others, with your eating, with your anger, with your laziness, with your lack of commitment to the Lord, your lack of Bible reading, your lack of prayer, uh, with your sins of lust or pornography or unkindness or anything else where you lack self-control, the Bible is telling you you're blind. You're blind. I can, I can see just fine, you say, right? But this is about your spiritual eyes. Right? This is about that. It's about your mind. This is about the truth as it relates to our great God and King and what he has done. Our, our minds have to go there. We have to think about that. And, that. and we often don't do that when we think of this topic of self-control and our lack of it. Um, it usually kind of hovers around the area of, I want to be better at this. And, and we kind of leave it there. And we just kind of are inwardly focused. Peter says that you've forgotten. You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. No, I haven't. I, I know I'm a Christian. I know that Christ has forgiven me and that I'm saved by him. No, what you've forgotten is that he saved you and you're no longer in bondage to sin. You're no longer controlled by sin. You are cleansed, he said, from your sin, and this is important for us. It's important on at least two levels here. And one is that by the grace of God, you and I as Christians are no longer condemned to hell because of our sin. Absolute truth, gospel truth. And that's important for us to remember in this discussion about self-control. And the second is that you are able, as a Christian, to have self-control. You can now because of Christ and his spirit within you. And this is the point of Peter saying you're cleansed from your former sins. And you are a new creation. Don't continue in them. We forget. Right? Life goes on. We forget, Peter says. You've forgotten. We're caught up in the world, the things of the world. We're caught up um, in what we want to do, where we want to go. We're caught up in the difficulties of life. I mean, we sang about it, and what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer, right? Get caught up and we forget that. 
our, our jobs, our friends, our dreams, all these kinds of things. We want, to, we want to live a Christian life, but it's hard. And we get discouraged. And then we fail more because we say things like, what's the use? I've struggled with this for so long. I've prayed. I've read the Bible. I've tried. What's the use? And in our failures of self-control is the exact times that we should be coming back to. We should be reminding ourselves through the truth of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our sins are forgiven. I don't want you to discount the fact that your sins are forgiven, and there is a connection between that and how you live your life every day and in the things that God has commanded us to do. He didn't forgive me so that I could continue in my sin, but to conquer it through him. He also completely forgave me so that when I do fall into sin, I'm free to turn from it in the knowledge that he has taken care of it and I am no longer condemned. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's hard to grasp. But that's why we need to continually keep reading it in Scripture. We need our minds filled with the Word of God to remind us of these truths. Romans 8, 37, 39 is a familiar passage and very important here. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, nor height, nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another amazing scripture. Not even your struggle with self-control can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. This is important. In your battle with self-control, don't just be thinking about this thing that you want to stop doing. The right way to think about it is to associate it with your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. Then we have to ask the question, why, why or how does this have anything to do with my thinking in regard to salvation? What do you guys think? Why does this have anything to do with my thinking in regard to salvation? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we can see the connection. The only reason we are even able to do this, be obedient to this command, is because we were saved in the first place, and God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, to produce this in us. We needed the Holy Spirit to produce this in us. So it's absolutely connected, and I, I want us to remember that even as we leave here tonight. and You, you think about the things you struggle with and self-control, whatever those areas are, I want you to start connecting it to your salvation. Remembering that, that you are saved, that your sins are forgiven, that you have the Holy Spirit within you, empowering you, strengthening you, producing in you self-control. The problem is we forget, and that's why we have to remember. We have to remind ourselves. We have to remind other Christians when they are struggling, when they have forgotten. We need to remind each other. We can begin to wrongly attach it to our salvation 
hey, I, if I will obey God in this area, I'll be saved for sure. And this is wrong thinking because your ability to exhibit self-control has no ability to save you and no part of your salvation. It's, it's a, any self-control you have is a product of your new life in Christ. It's a product of what the Holy Spirit has produced. But your doing it did not save you. Any more than your failure as a Christian, your failure to do it, causes you to lose your salvation. It doesn't. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Um, the right thing to do is to ask yourself, why you should want to have self-control in the first place? Why should you want to? And to remember that you, as we've seen here, don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful as a Christian. Now, as you've had your struggles with self-control, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought, I'm being ineffective or, and unfruitful as a Christian? Thought crossed your mind as you think, I try to do this, I just keep failing at it. I'm being ineffective and unfruitful as a Christian. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily come into our minds, but I want, I want it to. I want us to have this pop into our minds when we struggle with this, that I don't want to be, it's not just I don't want to do the thing, I don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful. I have, I have something to do as a Christian. I get the privilege of living my life for Christ and honoring God and sharing the gospel and, and living a life that, that stands out because it doesn't fit with what the world does. All of our sin grieves God. So we need to ask ourselves and remind ourselves, I don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful as a Christian. Attach it to that and not just, I don't want to do this thing, which is fine, and that's true. We don't want to do it, whatever it is. But more importantly, I don't want to be ineffective for Christ. So in our minds, there needs to be a connection with our salvation. Because the problem is, as, as the battle comes back, and as you struggle with the same thing over and over again, we begin to doubt the power of salvation. We begin to doubt the power of the Word of God. Doubt the power of prayer. Doubt the power of, the power of godly counsel. Of, of, we doubt the power of obedience. If I, if I failed this number of times, eh, there's no power in obedience. But there is. We doubt the power of confessing our sins to other brothers and sisters in Christ who, and, and, and seeking help from them and, and from people that will give us help from the Word of God and not just their own thoughts. So then this brings us back to the question that I didn't answer earlier about how do we do it. I get it. I want to... I want to do it. We all want to use self-control. But keep failing. I'll answer the question, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> you're not going to like it because we tend to want a quick fix, right? We, we want the magic formula. We want one trick, or what do they say these days? Uh, the thing, a hack, yeah. Want a hack? 
a life hack, right? Some way to fix this thing right away. Um, I, I want the light bulb to go on, and then and tomorrow, I'm fixed. I, I'll never have this problem again. I, I no longer struggle with self-control. Well, here's the answer. How do you use self-control? How do you grow in this fruit of the Holy Spirit? The answer is just do it. Sorry to go all Nike on you, but that's, that's the answer. Do it. You must do it. You, you will fail, but you keep trying. You keep being obedient. The, the sinful temptation is to stop obedient, o- obeying, right, altogether. So even in those times when you did exhibit self-control, now you're not doing it at all because, because of the times that you failed, because you're not thinking right. Uh, we start to think it's no use. But really what's going on is, is you're disbelieving God. Right? You're, you're not trusting God. This is not about perfection. This is about, strangely enough, this is about confirming who you are as a child of God. In the very next verse in Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And what is the key word in that verse? Who said that? Practice, that's the right word. Whoever said it, Mary. Practice, right? There's something implied in practice. Uh, you know, maybe you don't have it down all the way. You don't always get it right. That's what we do in practice, where you practice any, you practice an instrument, you practice piano or guitar, or whatever the instrument is, you're getting better and better and better. You learn new ways. You learn um, new discipline. Okay? Practice. Make it your life's work to practice living a godly life. And if, if and when you fail... You don't give up. You don't say it's no use. I might as well not try to use self-control at all because I can't be perfect at it. That's wrong thinking. You remember who you are in Christ, and you keep practicing. Practicing self-control has, of course, many benefits. And by the grace of God, he will deliver you from the lack of it that you have in your life. And, and by his grace, he'll deliver me from the lack of self-control that I have in my life. But if God allows you to continue to struggle, then, then fight the good fight with the knowledge that the Spirit of God is producing in you the fruit of self-control. Don't believe the lie that this is somehow proof that you're not a Christian and thereby lose hope and, and, and have your faith be shaken by it. Don't try and Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and fight with carnal weapons. Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord in his word. Go to the Lord in confession. Seek counsel from those who will offer it based on the Bible. You're free to do so because you have an advocate. And I wanted to turn another passage there in 1 John to be reminded of something very important. 1 John, near the end of your Bible, 
too far. And we'll go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, Don has just been talking about people who say they haven't sinned and how they're liars if they say that. And then he, and you start chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is really important for us to remember. Again, we're attaching it to our salvation, not in the sense that exhibiting self-control saves us, but in the sense that our thinking needs to be reoriented when we, as we struggle with this to, to being reminded, maybe I have sinned in, in a lack of self-control, but but the Bible tells me that I have an advocate as Jesus Christ, the righteous. And, and why is it important that is Jesus Christ the righteous? Because he is the only righteous one. He lived a righteous life, my place, because I can't. You can't. And he died, sacrificed himself, the perfect lamb of God, be the propitiation for our sins, what John says there. He satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. And so when you and I struggle with sin, whether it's self-control or, some, or any sin, it's not, this isn't, we don't read this and, and then have some sort of license in our mind to keep doing it and not feel bad about it. That reveals something else in you. That reveals that you, you are not obedient to his commands. But this is to remind us when that nagging at us of, of the lack of self-control is saying, maybe it's saying, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm saved because I struggle with this. But we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. In this, in this passage, there is proof that sin is going to still be a part of our life. And it's not just that passage. We can look all through Scripture and see that. But even as Christians, sin will be there. It, it, some, some sin remains, right? But we are progressively being sanctified through the Holy Spirit, more like Christ. And so it's these kinds of promises that we need to rely upon when we struggle with things like self-control. Again, not so that we can say self-control is no big, lack of self-control is no big deal. Not what we're saying. We don't want to think that way. Um, but, but we don't, and we also don't want to listen to, to the self in self-control and try and control our own bodies and try to do this in our own strength or, uh, or in our own willpower or whatever. We, we can't do that. And, and perhaps that's been you. Perhaps you're trying to do it in your own strength. Don't do that. It's not working. But also don't think, if I prayed and I asked God to help me not have a problem with self-control, it will 
be done. Now, could it? Might he? Sure. He could absolutely deliver you from this area where you struggle with self-control. And if he did, wow, what an amazing gift. And you, and you would praise him for it. But if he doesn't, if he decides in his own perfect will that you need some more sanctifying through a lack of self-control, uh, he'll keep bringing those things into your life where it tests you. And you have to do it. To make yourself do it. And I don't say that because I... Because I've got it figured out. I don't. Um, but it's the reality. There's no magic words. There's no magic potion or spell. Our life as Christians is, is a practice. We, we are reading the word of God to know what to do. We are asking him to help us do it. And when we fail, we remind ourselves, I have an advocate in Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm not condemned. Forgive me, Lord. Help me with this. Keep trying. Keep going. And in, in our Galatians 5 passage, in 525, he says, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And not only in step with the Spirit in, in right living, which is true, but in step as he reveals to you sin, and prompts you to fight against it. That's a, that's a grace of God that he would even reveal to you that something you're doing is sinful. So you can turn from it. Repent and turn from it. Confess it. He's the one giving you the desire now for self-control. Um, not to please yourself, but to please and honor and glorify God. Now, it has the added, I don't want to say side effect, but benefit of... Um, certainly making us feel better about ourselves, right? You have to be careful about that, but I don't think we can escape that. If I have struggled with self-control in an area and God delivers me from that and I no longer struggle with that, praise God, I'm grateful for that, and it feels great to not struggle with that anymore, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you have had something that you've struggled with for a long time and God delivered you from it? Maybe it was over time, maybe it was right away, but have any of you experienced that? I hope so. It's a, it's a gracious thing on the part of God. So, I know that is the question. How do we do it? You have to do it, and you have to keep doing it. Um, and just remember that this connection between our salvation and our being fruitful and effective, we want to be fruitful and effective as Christians. Um, that doesn't just mean in uh, the things we do or in our own lives, but that's in what we do as commanded by God in terms of sharing the gospel. If I have lack of self-control in certain areas, I'm going to be less effective for him in sharing the gospel. It can harm my testimony to other people, who, are, who don't know Christ, want to be effective. If we're bogged down constantly um, by the lack of self-control and not thinking rightly about it, we could be ineffective and unfruitful because now I'm so inwardly focused that I, I, I maybe I don't even come to church. 
A lot of people stop coming to church because they're struggling with something and they're convicted of it at church or they're embarrassed by it. And that's the last thing we should do, not come and gather with God's people. We need each other to help us, to, to help us remember. Um, so, as we finish up with self-control, next week when we come back, we will wrap up this section of Scripture, um, kind of put all these things together, hopefully apply them to our lives, remember who we are in Christ. Don't think of lack of self-control as proof that you're not a Christian. Think of it as, thank you, Lord, for revealing to me my lack of self-control. Please help me and keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. Keep fighting fight. Okay? All right. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you again, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to think rightly about our lack of self-control. You know each person, each person's heart here, each person's mind. You know every area where we lack self-control. You know how it affects our thinking. You know how it makes us ineffective and unfruitful as Christians, growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would begin to think rightly through your word and through the, the revealing of your word by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will keep pressing on. We will not be discouraged and lose hope or have our faith shaken. But Lord, that we will see continually more and more our need for such a great Savior. And be reassured for that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any Thank you for your great promises. Praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys.